feeling a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Now live. Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Para-X Radio Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. This is Jason Michael Caldwell, your host. Tonight, I have not one, but two people with me. Andrea Venomous has resurfaced. In fact, he's working his computer magic for me to get us back on live to the server because the Parax servers hate my personal software and have given me all kinds of hell. So, we have a few announcements first. How are you doing tonight, Andrea? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty well, pretty well. So, thank you for coming on and talking with Jason Miller with me tonight. I just wanted to ask you first, do you have anything coming up you would like to announce? Let the public know what you're doing. Well, I just started out uh, shape-shifting e-course, uh, but no, it's already past the time. People in it are people in it. And after that, uh, I think the only thing I have going on is... Uh, Convocations, and I'm kind of keeping a low profile because I'm I'm in, still in grad school. So, well, Convocation 2015 staff has some computer genius working for them right now because they've made it way easy to get the information this year. It is just convocation.org. So if you go to convocation.org, you're going to get all your hotel information. You're going to get the dates of next this coming February 19th through the 22nd, 2015. Go to convocation.org, sign up now. You'll get discounts on tickets. You'll be able to find out about hotel rooms. Now's the time because this is a very big event and it fills up quickly. So with that, tonight's guest, Jason Miller. Now, he's been on the show several times. He's a fan favorite. And he has over 20 years experience studying witchcraft and magic in many forms. He's been all over the world, New Orleans to study hoodoo, Europe to study witchcraft, and Nepal to study tantra. Member of several different magical orders. Jason Miller, are you back with us? I am. How are you doing? How are you evening? doing, Jason? Hey, doing great. And Andrea, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing well. Fantastic. So, Jason Miller, your new book, Sex, Sorcery, and Spirit. Congratulations, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I am, uh, I, 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 it's gotten some pretty good reviews so far, so I'm pretty happy. So, 
what inspired you to write about sex magic? Well, you know, sex just inspires all on its own, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it sure does. Uh, but, you know, throughout my entire career, um, I've always been running into uh, teachers that, that talked about sex magic. So, you know, my main teacher, uh, John Reynolds, uh, who not only is a Tibetan Lama, but also was the person responsible for getting me involved in the OTO, uh, very, very big into the, to the sex magic aspect of things. So it's always been an important part of my practice, but it's, it's something that I feel has not gotten a great treatment yet in the West in a commonly available book. Um, and part of that is that the weight of the 18th and, and, and the, the, sorry, the, uh, the mid 1800s to the early 1900s just has too great a gravity. So everybody focuses in on Pascal Beverly Randolph and Alistair Crowley and nothing mm -hmm. gets discussed outside of that. Nothing before, nothing after. Um, you know, I, I even went and gave, before I wrote the book, uh, while I was doing the research, I gave a free lecture to an OTO group in Philadelphia, one that I founded. And, uh, you know, as I went through and I'm revealing sort of all these contract secrets and things like this, and afterwards it was like, but you didn't cover Crowley and Randolph in depth. And I'm like, don't you guys, like I'm staring at a bookshelf filled with nothing but Crowley and Randolph. Like you would think nothing no one had ever written about it outside of those two and in my own opinion they are not uh, not the end all be all for the practitioner <laughs> so I that's felt it, like, there comes the hate mail already oh yeah so I felt like I had to put something forth that would uh that would remedy this and, and, uh, you know, would give people something that is both, you know, modern in workability, but also rooted in even more ancient teachings in, in terms of being rooted, uh, in the tantras and, and a little bit in Taoist techniques and, and, uh, and also in the Western alchemical tradition. If you, uh, buy into the idea that even Western alchemists were were speaking sexually, as, as some Western alchemists do, um, then it's rooted in that tradition as well. I draw upon Paracelsus and, and, and so on in writing. You know, now, I'm not a sex magic practitioner, but just from the little bit of background that I have in some of these materials, didn't Crowley draw upon Eastern technique when he formed his Western techniques? Well, a little bit, but not really. Um, okay. You know, it's, it is, he really drew upon Randolph 
to be okay. to, you know to be honest the the OTO tradition although they, they say Carl Kellner went to the east and studied with tantricas and sufis and things like this really the sex magical tradition can be traced back to Pascal Beverly Randolph uh, you know from Crowley to to Randolph and um you know Randolph again says he has some teachings from the east but they're not very clear uh you know so for one of the one of the big things is the generation of heat alchemists of course speak about the process of heat and sublimation as being necessary for the creation of the elixir and in all western sex magic literature from randolph all the way up to don michael craig um, they they are talking about this in terms of basically having sex for a really long time, having sex for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, etc. And this generates the quote-unquote heat. Um, and, you know, I suppose if you are in exceptional health <laughs> uh, and can maintain vigorous performance for that long, then, you know, there's some heat to be had there. Although... Uh, you know, I've heard stories from ladies about men that go on that long, and it's basically uh, a snooze fest. Um, but really, you know, in the East, when they talk about heat, they're talking about uh, inner heat practice, the movement of prana or uh, chi in the body to generate heat and bliss. Um, this thing gets brought into the moment of orgasm and explodes into uh, these higher states of mind and, and uh, divinity and awareness and, and clarity. And that idea of inner heat is something that an energy worker who's not partaking in sexual work could understand and carry over into sexual work. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, a lot of people do uh, inner heat work, tomo work, um, without, um, you know, without um, doing additional work. Right. Well, that's very interesting because that's, I mean, I, I saw in the book that you had, you had quoted me, Jason, so in the new book. Um, yes. And that's pretty much what I was sort of getting at. Like, well, you know, you you know, if the sex is bad, which to me would mean you're not getting that heat, uh, it doesn't matter how long you go, really. Um, it might matter, but if the sex is really good and there's a lot of energy exchange right at the moment, you're probably right. It doesn't necessarily... I've never seen a woman not... I, I sleep with women, I have a significant other, but I've never seen my significant other not really have a good time if, if, if you're in that moment of heat <laughs> and bliss, even if it's short. Exactly. Um, you know, and if both people can do the inner heat practice, then, you know, then really you can... You can lose yourself. This is this is what, in terms of, of Buddhist tantra, would be called zogrim or completion stage stuff. 
So the generation stage is sort of invocations of deities and the symbols and, and ceremony, etc., etc. All the things that generate the sense of that deity being there. So you can almost think of that as like setting up a hospitable environment um, for things to happen. And then the the generation of inner heat and then also the sex act itself are completion stage practices. They bring a direct experience of the bliss and emptiness inherent in divinity that is undeniable and unshakable. Uh, you know, there is no question that something is happening. Even even inner heat practice alone, I, I spent all summer, I spent two months uh, in Vermont where the air is uh, nice and crisp and clean and uh, did a lot of inner heat practice over the summer. And, uh, you know, I can tell you there were times when after a session, I could not get right up and walk across the room because my physical eyes were just perceiving... Uh, color and mist and and uh, and things like that because the prana uh, in these those etheric channels those channels that are not quite physical but not quite astral either right uh, are just filled with uh, the extra prana and they're they're causing reality to break down in front of you so potent stuff well that raises a even taking a step back, I mean, because lots of people have, there's been lots of material on, on sex magic, but a lot of people don't, you're starting to get into, like, why do people do sex magic? I mean, I mean, sex is great, but why sex magic? And I think right there, you're starting to get into a why, and maybe you could elaborate on that. Yeah, you know, um, Obviously, as you know, it, even if you think of just ancient pre pre linguistic man, um, you know, sex has got to be one of the, the the top two or three experiences that you have in your lifetime. Um, you know, so it, it's it's this blissful experience. And then, of course, at the moment of orgasm, it is, uh, you know, as Glenn Mullen used to say, if you're doing it right, it's a primordial experience. So there is sometimes this sort of earth-shattering moment of orgasm where you lose the self. This is why the French call it le petit mort, the little death. Um, the self disappears and, and pure awareness arises and just dwells in ecstasy, even for just a, a nanosecond. Um, so there is this intense energy there. But then, of course, there's also the fact that it leads to children uh, very often. So ancient man sees this, well, this is a way of creating. This is how man creates things. Mm -hmm. So if we can, you know, channel this energy, this force into in other ways, then we can create other things. And this is where the external alchemy comes in. This is where, uh, you know, the oldest layer of Tantra, too, is about the external alchemy of creating 
elixirs that you would um, drink and, and share and, and uh, tasting the combined sexual fluids that are uh, as a divine sacrament. This is something that, you know, the OTO has, and uh, other modern polemic groups have gotten into as well and, and um, you know, produce an elixir, but, you know, without heat and, and passion and, and all that, uh, it doesn't have the same uh, potency. Why do you think, even amongst magical practitioners, people who accept the occult, historically there's been a lot of taboo against the practice of sex magic? Well, you know, there are, there's a good reason, there's a few reasons. There's, um, there's basically, there's a prudish reason, there's a manipulative reason, and then there's a, a good reason. Uh, the prudish reason is obviously sex makes some people uncomfortable, and in the Victorian era, it made a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, and still to this day, I've heard you know a very well-known uh, elder occultist say, "Oh, that's sex magic. That's just an excuse for people to have sex." Um, but of course, people have never had needed an excuse to have sex, so that reasoning is just a little weird to me. Right. Um, or the idea that, you know, you're, you're trying to be shocking with this material. You know, as I've said in the book, we live in the era of two girls, one cup. Nothing is shocking anymore. <laughs> there is nothing. Yeah, I was thinking that, 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 that kind of went out the window probably in, you know, 2001. Uh, that, that was the end of it as far as anything yeah. being shocking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so if, you're, if you're over 18, you can Google that. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah, record yeah. your friend while you watch it, and you'll get horrified by their reaction alone. You know what? I, I would just like to say, I, I would just like to say, don't Google it. Yeah, don't, don't Google it. I, yeah. Don't I Google it. Friend, I had a friend warn me not to do that, and I did it, and, and I didn't realize that I had a little spark of childish innocence left within me until I felt it die at that very moment. Oh. Um... <laughs> So, as everyone you know, right now listening is googling that because we told them not to. Oh, uh, I'm sure everyone listening has already seen it, uh, you know, many, many times. Just but, remember, we we didn't make you do anything. We only set the stage. <laughs> so, so that's that's the prudish reason. Then there's the manipulative reason, and that is that sex being a primary drive is. If you can control people's sexuality, you can control them. This is why all great mind control cults from the Branch Davidians to Om Shinrikyo um, have engaged in sort of, uh, you know, the leader getting to decide who has sex with whom and when. Um, so there is this, this you know, and, and of course then the church... You know, you can only have sex for procreative reasons. Uh, please don't read the Song of Solomon right there in the middle of the Bible. Um, but it's, you know, so there's that, uh, that aspect, that manipulative aspect. But then there is actually a real reason to take care with sex magic. And that is that it is potent and it draws upon 
the basic emotional energy of the body, uh, the body and mind. And, you know, when you're doing practices, spiritual practices that are sort of spirit to mind to body, you get this sort of ennobling energy that descends. But when you're doing spiritual practices that are body up to mind, up to spirit, it, it excites a lot of the passions. It excites a lot of emotional energy, and it turns the volume up on all of them. So when you are turning the volume up on your bliss and ecstasy and, and so on, you also run the risk of turning the volume up on your anger and, and jealousy and so on. And this can lead to some bad things. Um, so, you know, as, this is doubly so if you have, uh, you know, unhealthy sexual appetites for, you know, non-consensual sex or for, for people that are not of appropriate age and so on, um, then this can, might excite those sorts of passions within you. So there are, you know, there are real dangers, uh, just, just as with any real activity you do, uh, there are there are dangers, but those dangers are well worth it. You know, and uh, I'd, I think I'd, I, my opinion, I'd argue that someone who lacks self control, those would be very real dangers in almost any esoteric practice. You know, oh, without a doubt. We, I, I have to at least step in and say that this, sex magic, particularly, I've seen in the twenty years I've been doing this is probably still the most abused thing I've seen go on in the occult. To uh, people doing stuff like, you know, having guys have sex with invoked Liliths and they get sick, I mean, on purpose, all kinds of stuff that, to to exactly what Jason was talking about, the manipulation, because it feels good, so, you know, and you can amp that up and, and make it feel even better through certain energy manipulations and it gets very addictive. I've seen this one thing still be the most abused uh, magical practice. And Yes, um, as far as being able to manipulate and abuse other people, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and of course, this is not indicative of just the Western scene. The, the Eastern scene has no shortage of gurus that have uh, sexual scandals behind them. Um, you know, there, there are, I could probably name at least half a dozen llamas right off the bat. Um, and, and there are some techniques that are, lend themselves very easily to this. The Bajroli Mudra, um, where you are withdrawing the, it's meant for withdrawing the female and male mixed sexual fluids up back into the penis um, where it you know uh, sort of you know gets absorbed that way uh, into the male that's also a way to absorb uh, you know gynergy feminine uh, feminine power and thus can be a type of vampirism uh, and when you have matches like you know older men and, and younger inexperienced women with this then 
there can be, or vice versa, older women and, and uh, younger men, there can be this type of deliberate manipulation that takes place. Yeah, I believe in the book you touched on the fact that one can actually steal the partner's energy and use it in magical manipulation against the partner. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. definitely do not practice things like this with people you do not trust. Yeah, but on the, on the other side of this, I, I, you know, I think the book definitely starts to get into this. There's a whole lot of health benefits and a whole bunch of uh, real magical power spiritual development then occur if you do practice it so i don't want to make it sound like we're saying don't ever do this because thought isn't i think what you oh, no. to say by no, no means we're no, not saying no, don't do it we're just saying be you know, very careful who you do it with well you know the rules the rules of sex magic are basically the rules of sex you know be safe be sane be consensual don't don't you know, just like if you were, you know, if you were a young lady, um, you don't want to, you know, if you're at a, a party where there's, uh, a, you know, like a frat party or something like that, you want to be careful about people putting things in your drink. That's not to say that, you know, that it's upon, you know, for, for my friends out there, this is not to say that uh, it's incumbent upon women to, to, to guard against rape, uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's never their fault. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. But still in all, you know, if you're there as an individual, you want to uh, watch yourself and not get together with men you don't want to get together with. It's the same thing with sex magic. So, you know, I mean, there's plenty of sex magic that happens between casual people. There's sex, sex magic that happens... Uh, in magical orders where it's it's purely for the purposes of magic and there can you know there are appropriate times where a teacher is training a younger person um to do that and that's okay too as long as it's you know consensual safe and and i would say enthusiastic like you know it, there should be enthusiasm on both parts Oh, most definitely. Hey, let's talk about the importance of purification when doing the work. Well, uh, purification takes care of a lot of these um, this unbalanced emotional energy that we were talking about. So, you know, in the book I give, I think, the White Star purification practices and some other dietary purification practices but there are other purification practices that you can do. The idea is that you want to engage in a practice where you are actively seeking to cultivate the virtuous, for lack of a better term, um, and transform the negative so that when the volume on all of your energies gets turned up, you're able to recognize when excessive anger or attachment arises, to disengage from it, and uh, to have it happen less because you have this, uh, you know, this purification practice of, of uh, subtle energies flowing through you at the same time. So, very important stuff. 
So how's about the relation between your physical body, your etheric body, and your astral bodies and how they work together? Well, uh, again, uh, another important uh, aspect to it in that uh, a lot of people talk about the astral body. And this is, of course, the body that can separate and from the bo- from the physical form. Uh, this is the body that is extremely subtle. You know, when do- working with astral energies, um, they can take the shape of almost anything imaginable. You can you can build constructs out of them and, and so on. But etheric energy is not like that. The etheric body can only move an inch or two away from the physical body. So it can be slightly out of step with the physical, but you can't rip it out of something. It's, it's the system of channels that in meridians that get worked on when you go to an acupuncturist. Um, so it is, it is the bridge between those two levels and so whereas in the astral you can move energy using just sort of focused will and imagination in the etheric body to effectively move energy you need will imagination breath and muscle because you're it's not just the astral that you're moving it's the it's it's a it's physical it's it's chemical uh, and of course, a lot of people do work um, associating the, the chakras with the endocrine glands and the production of various uh, 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 like you know dopamine and so on in the body. Uh, I try to stay away from that because I, I don't like to speak for science. I like to let trained scientists speak for science. Um, so anytime somebody steps in and says, you know, well, biology is proving magic and quantum mechanics is proving magic. I was kind of like, well, let's, you know, good. Let's get a, you know, let's get a quantum, you know, a physicist in here and we'll discuss it. Um, or, or, you know, a, a, a high level biologist in here and we'll, we'll discuss it, but right. Because uh, good magicians make bad quantum physicists. Yeah, they, they, they <laughs> tend to, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a friend of mine, I think a friend of yours, Sarah, uh, I think had once said that, you know, anyone discussing quantum mechanics and magic should be able to tell you what Hibbard, you know, discuss how their magic functions in Hibbard space or held in space. I bet you Peter uh, Carroll can. <laughs> well, you, you know, it can. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, so, you know, but he would be the exception. <laughs> yes. Most of us do not have that level of education. Right. So, <laughs> so one of the things that was probably, usually it's it's considered a secret, but um, you kind of put it right out there in the book um, from a different perspective than the way I learned it, was basically like separating... Your your etheric your, your energy basically your spiritual energy from the ejaculation, which was one of the techniques that I learned in Qigong, but it's much later. But maybe you could go over some of those techniques because 
that's that's one of the secrets that is usually not covered in the West. Uh, where in the book specifically are you thinking? Uh, it's like it's, I it make has sure to do with comment. the vase uh, techniques and the the vase. I have to go way back. Oh, the again. vase breathing and yeah, the vase breathing like and yeah, you, you're you kind know? of going you're kind of going over that stuff that uh, supposedly you're not supposed to get unless you uh, pay a qigong master fifty thousand dollars or something because if if i remember correctly from things i've heard as well as well as your book that's kind of like the idea of ejaculating physically but not energetically i think yes yes um you know these are uh in in qigong terminology this is work that's done with the thrusting channels and in qi, in most qigong, that stuff comes later after you've dealt with the functioning and governing channels, because most of qigong is based uh, is built for health. It's built for um, longevity. For cir- you circulate a lot of energy around the body into the outer limbs, and even um, in terms of uh, the 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 chi you would get from the ejaculate or, or uh, you know your generative chi um, that you would, your jing that you would move around your body um, this goes to the edges it, 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 it gets redistributed throughout the body in tantra the goal is more to get it all to throw into the central channel stoke up this intense heat and create this blissful experience and the and the physical health um, while a side benefit uh, from this sort of natural redistribution after is not the main focus so the 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 shishunna and the the side channels uh, you start earlier in tantra than you qigong but this is done primarily through the use of breathing and locks, um, where you are able to use muscular locks uh, and breath and pumping them in certain ways that I described in the book, uh, and, and breaths to run the energy up the spine. Um, run the energy up the central channel into the crown of the head where you can then redistribute it or let it melt the, the quote-unquote wisdom drop, the white seed. Um, and it's something that, you know, some in some traditions it's exceptionally secret. Um you know, but you can go find teachers in India that teach it right off the bat. Um, you know, even before the Tibetans will. Um, so it's it's you know, what's secret in one tradition is open in another, and then you find out that they're actually very similar. Uh, they just place the secrecy. You know, they place the uh, the learning in a different order. Uh, but yeah, it's all in there. I, I, you know, when I decide to write on something, I like to lay it bare, if you'll pardon the, the, the innuendo. 
Man, of course, on a show about sex magic, we talk about laying it bare. So, <laughs> you touched on the idea that there are techniques one can practice solo. You not always have to have a partner to, to have effective sex magic. In fact, the chaos magicians out there will probably be pretty pleased to know that you were pretty descriptive about Spare's original sigil technique. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that sometimes uh, it gets the the it gets the shaft. Um, uh, um, you know, even from chaos magicians who are like, you know, and here's Ao Spare's sigil technique, and they all they really do is explain, hey, look, you can take English letters, you know, stick them together in in weird ways, and, and make cool-looking sigils out of it. And I, I've got a few of those in the book. Um, but they don't get into his earthenware version, and, and which is basically, you know, the, the he, he should have patented it. He could have sued Fleshlight. Because um, it's basically, you know, the, the, uh, the Victorian-era Fleshlight. And... Um, <laughs> Oh, Lord, people are going to do sigil magic with a flashlight now. You think they don't hey. already? <laughs> Come on, please. I got, well, Jason, given given the choice, I would much rather people do it with the flashlight than with Instead the actual earthenware version with the vessel. suction. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. I, you know, you, you just, you don't want to, uh, you know, stick your willy in um, something that is going to create that much suction, but doesn't have like a release valve. So, so you know, I, I think chaos magicians doing uh, sigil magic with the flashlight would be great. But yeah, you know, um, if you're if we're gonna quote, uh, if we're gonna get into spare, then then let's treat spare as fair. You know, I myself, I think of spare as more of a witch. Uh, than anything else and I, I think of uh, you know that that technique of course has existed long before spare like, like the actual sigil technique of combining English letters Agrippa talks about it um, it's in the Enchiridion of Pope Leo there are angelic seals that are basically done that way so you know that that's like you know an old hat technique sure made famous by spare yeah, made made famous by well, really made famous by the people that made Spare famous. Sure, sure. So, oh, I was thinking about something else along those lines. Hmm. Well, one of the things that um, sex magic always gets into, and people always like either gasp or they're excited by is, is, is sexual intercourse with spirits and <laughs> of different natures, including, you know, getting your partner either possessed or otherwise invoked by a spirit or, you know, sex with a, a spirit in a solo context. And, you know, since that's such a big part of what you can see on the internet right now, as far as sex magic goes, maybe, maybe we should talk about it and, uh, have a reasonable conversation about it. Yeah. Sure. You know, um, it, 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 it's been done a long time. Um, in the book, 
you'll notice that chapter, there's a lot of description in that chapter and only a little bit of practicum. And the reason for that isn't that I wanted to hide anything, but the reason is that just like a, a rendezvous between two people, there's more than one operator involved. So there's no set formula that you can really lay out and say, this is how it's done. Um, it requires the participation of two beings. And I give examples in the book of uh, you know, people who have said to have been uh, had sex with demons, uh, willingly or unwillingly, people who have... Uh, you know, had sex with nature spirits. I, I have the whole learning to love your elf section um, about people in Iceland getting it on with elves in the, the, you know, new and interesting positions that they've written about because elves are such light and nimble bodies. And uh, then, of course, the, the infamous, uh, you know, Ida Craddock and... and uh, inappropriately touched by an angel sort of scenarios where uh, people get to know their their holy guardian angel uh, intimately. And, and, you know, this is something that uh, Aaron Leach has talked about and that, that we discussed it at great length um, when we were doing the holy guardian angel book together. Um, that, you know, the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel is very often a carnal knowledge. There's uh, a sensual and indeed sexual aspect to that work that doesn't get written about very often. But uh, as for the how-to, you know, there's a little, you know, I get, I drop a few hints as to, you know, little, little, uh, mystery pickup artist tips on how to Mac an angel. Have you, hey baby, have you just fallen from heaven? Because, oh yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Hate more coming soon. And then, you know, as for the, the partner being possessed, um, you know, this is something that uh, I wrote a little bit about in the next section, the homunculus section. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I feel like it never really works out well. Um, you know, I, I, I have yet to hear a story where someone invoked a god or demon into their lover uh, to have sex. And the, the end of the story and was, and then we got everything we wanted and lived happily ever after. Um, it, it very rarely works out that way. Um, and then, of course, there's the episodes of, uh, you know, invoking a being into uh, your sexual partner with the intent of giving birth to a non-human spirit in a human body and, and uh, which would be the homunculi. Which would be uh, one version of the homunculi, yeah. So that's something that, you know, Crowley writes about in some of the upper-order ninth-degree papers and uh, 
has been written about by other alchemists. And, you know, also in the East, I, I, I give, um, it doesn't involve possession of a person, but I give, uh, sort of a detailed account of the Tachikawa skull ritual. So, you know, if you're into skull effing, uh, that's one you should check out. You and your partner, you know, work this skull over the course of a year. And, uh, because that's fun. Nope. <laughs> Maybe for some people, I guess. You know. For some people, yeah. By the way, thank you for saying effing, because every time I tell you to refrain from the F word, you usually drop it three times. You know, I, 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 I figured the joke of doing that is played out. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think no one could do it better than Yvonne Chereau did on you uh, last year or the year before at Crucible. So, uh, love you, love Yvonne. Why love even listening. try to uh, top it? That was just that was beautiful. <laughs> Don't even bother trying to top it. It's done. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah, the shock factor's gone. People are more shocked that we're not using it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, so. Okay. Obviously, Christianity, as we know it in modern times, has been very stringent about sexual activity and, and the context of when it's appropriate. You broached in the book that there are things pointing to the fact that early Christians may have actually practiced sec- sacred sex acts. Well, there, there's no doubt that they did. Um, okay. But it's about how widespread it was. So, for instance, um, in the Gospel of Philip in the Nagamate Library, they list the the sacrament of the bridal chamber as one of the the holy sacraments, placing it on a level with the Eucharist and and the taking of holy orders. Now, I've spoken with uh, a lot of people involved with magical and and mystical Christianity, and um, they're, you know, they tend to agree that it was a... uh, you know, a sex act uh, whereby you, uh, you know, you are uniting Christos with Sophia or Sophia with with God, um, and that it's done after you've received holy orders. Some say it's not connected to holy orders. So what exactly was done is up for debate. But there are also, you know, smaller sects. Um, so, for instance, the Carpocratians, um, you know, in, in Arrhenius's uh, Against Heresies, which is actually a book written against Gnostics, but is where, you know, now is our primary source uh, for, for, for knowledge about what the second century Gnostics did. Uh, he would say that uh, in though the Carpocratians believed that in order to leave this world, uh, your soul should have passed between uh, through every possible condition of earthly life. Uh, and so it is possible to do this within one lifetime. 
And so uh, I think the quote was, Carpocratians did those things which we dare not speak of or hear, so that when they died, they would not have to reincarnate again because, you know, they've had sex with everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I mean, this is, it reminds me of that old state. You remember the state from MTV, that comedy show? Uh, Yeah. yeah. I want to dip my balls in it. That's (laughs) pretty much sums up the teachings of, uh, of Carpocrates. Um, So, you know. And then, of course, you know, the other side of the, the sexual, uh, the sex with spirits thing, now that I'm thinking of it, is when it's initiated from the other side. You know, it's not always incubuses and succubuses. We have plenty of examples in Greek mythology of Zeus, um, you know, having sex with mortals and, you know, having sex with uh demigods and well i think there's pretty much a record of zeus having sex with just about everything probably so very true yeah yeah so you know i mean really what this teaches us is that we need a you know supernatural special victims unit you know and 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 i i don't want to i am going to go there briefly it's just it doesn't seem to happen involuntarily often and in the cases where it is purported to happen involuntarily one could question certain mental conditions but i'll just leave it at that for now that's you know that's true but you know one of the things to always keep in mind is that it's it's a it's a little bit like cursing you know we all get um emails from people not mentally well to are saying, you know, I've been cursed, I'm cursed, I'm cursed. So the immediate response is to go, okay, well, this person is, you know, batshit crazy. Oh, sorry. Um, is, is uh, you know, a little bit crazy. Therefore, I can assume that they're not really being cursed. But one of the effects of cursing is to drive people crazy. Yes. So Double-edged sword. In- yeah, in the case of, of this sort of un, uh, unsolicited spectrophilia, let's call it, um, that, you know, it, it itself can cause this kind of mental stress and, and uh, you know, sort of reality coming apart at the seams. I'm not saying that that happens often. I often at all but it you know you would expect someone to be a little bit um you know off. yeah and I, i've heard of kind of things where even people kind of would initiate inappropriate sex with the dead you know not not just i'm not just talking about like you know um going to a grave or anything like that and but i mean people would have inappropriate sex with the dead spirit it would screw them up of course it would screw them up because you know um or they would get into sex with a uh you know abusive somebody who was dead now but it was in a, abuse them there's all kinds of stuff that kind of can go that way that i think in some ways 
talking about the purification and, and how you get heated up is probably a really, really important thing uh, to talk it about. It is. Because of those types of things. Especially when people go out to find a demon lover or stuff like that, which, you know, in various uh, really hardcore left-hand path orders, this is a thing. Uh, you know, it becomes an issue of, well, what happens when you have sex with a spirit and you don't have the purification going on? Mm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that spirit can easily become obsessive. You can draw on all kinds of uh, negative qualities and, and, and quantities. And again, this is not just like demonic spirits. I mean, when you, you think about the Greek gods, um, yes, they are personifications of reality, of, of various aspects and, and, and primordial forces, but they're also the personifications of a dysfunctional family, too. I mean, um, there's a lot of messed up stuff that they do <laughs> that we would, you know, we wouldn't think is okay, and you can absorb some of that. Uh, so, yeah. You know, and, and that holds true, too, um, with the use of sexual fluids as offerings. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is something that, you know, was very popular uh, in the 90s during sort of like the, the, the heyday of, of chaos magic. And I, I did it a lot myself. And, there, you know, there were some authors out there that were basically teaching like, you know, hey... Uh, you know, sexual fluids are like a universally accepted offering. What could possibly be better than than your love junk? So, um, you know, it turns out uh, not the case. <laughs> um, it, because it, much like offering your own blood, it's a direct connection back to you. Right. But not only that, but it's just not necessarily appreciated. No, uh, yeah, not all spirits it, will appreciate it yeah, at all. It, it, it's, a, it's in Greek mythology, it's a miasma, and in uh, almost every ATR that I can think yeah, of, it, would not it's be tolerated. frowned upon and just not tolerated at all. So, you know, I, I had brought this up um, during the, uh, the talk we did on offerings with Aaron Leach again, and Aaron had said, thank you so much for bringing this up, because just recently I was counseling a young man, and he is like, I don't understand why the angel is not doing what I, or the, the demon is not doing what I want it to do. I have literally offered it like a gallon of semen, and oh. you know, I just keep adding to it and adding to it. It becomes and like I'm, one of those issues when it keeps not working, why don't you maybe ask the angel what it wanted instead exactly. or the demon what you know what exactly I mean, did you want as opposed to this uh, right i mean I, that's not to say that it, it's never appropriate um it can certainly be appropriate in the tantras it's it's transformed in the tantras uh, along with all other quote unclean things uh but you know it certainly can be appropriate but just like you know, just like anything else, it depends on uh, who you're giving it to. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that should be obvious, I know, but 
I mean, maybe that's one of the biggest takeaways. You know, common sense is still, you know, important in magical operations. <laughs> yes, indeed. If you have a gallon of semen that you've offered to a spirit and you're not getting any results, maybe it doesn't like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, book's been out for uh, about a month now, right? Yes, indeed. Have, have you taken any flack about cultural appropriation? No, I have not. Um, blessedly so. I, I uh, There's 14 reviews up on Amazon, and all of them are, are, are glowing, much to my amazement. Um, and I have not. Um, I, lay, I put out a series of blog posts about cultural appropriation, so that because I, you know, I tend to have a nuanced view of these things, and and you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, people were just going nuts. Just just take anything from anywhere. It doesn't matter. Say it's your own. Pay it. Pay it no heed. Pretend to be a Santero when you have never even been to a ceremony, much less. Oh, you mean people uh, don't do that now? Well, they do, yeah. but uh, it's frowned upon. Um, As but well now, it should be. You know, now it's it's swung in the opposite direction, where, oh, you, you drew on something from a foreign culture? You are an evil cultural appropriator. Um, you know, I mean, I remember a while back, um, I guess it was a year or two ago, I was having these experiences with Maria Padilla's name recurring in my head over and over and over. And this was not welcome. This was really like kind of a pain in the ass. I was having trouble sleeping. Um, so, you know, I let it go and then it, hap- it went away and then it happened again. So I called up... Um, you know, I called up Conjurman Ali since he's a, a, a Tata Kimbanda. And uh, I said, you know, first thing is, you know, is this an authentic communication from Tombajira Maria Padilla or is it not? Um, and, you know, what, you know, what should I do? So he gave a reading and he's like, well, here's a a simple way you can honor her because I was like, you know, I, I, I have a pretty full house. I'm not looking to add on yet another altar. Um, and I have an aversion to tobacco. So, you know, I was particularly, and he, he gave me, um, some good solid teachings, but even then people were like, Oh, well, you're culturally appropriated. I'm like, how is that cultural appropriation? I went to the culture and said, this is the experience. You know, I mean, it, it's just, um, you we're going to have so to wrap up on that note, Jay. All right, man. You got- there's a, there's a middle ground. Let's just call it that. All right. Well, thanks for coming out. If you remain on time, we're going to go ahead and play the outro music. Everybody have a great how, week. How can people uh, get a hold of you, Jason? Uh, yes, if they're indeed. looking to get that book or take part in your uh, uh, various uh, courses, like your, your strategic sorcery course and other stuff, how can people get a hold of you? Go to strategicsorcery.net, uh, and you'll find my blog and my Facebook and everything else. And, uh, you know, 
soon all the books will be listed up there but the books you can find it at barnes and noble you can find it on amazon but you would do my heart uh you would warm the cockles of my heart if you bought it from an independent uh bookstore or a cult shop but otherwise it's available through you know any major book distributor all right then all right everyone stand along and i'll Take us on out. It's been a while. Thanks again to the Luminous for this wonderful show music.